Hello and welcome to the Dash Podcast. This is our 100th episode and I'm so excited to bring a man in here who has changed the lives of so many people in education from students to teachers from rural South Carolina to New York to the teacher of the year. Mr. Ron Clark from the Ron Clark Academy is joining me today. How are you, sir? Oh, I'm, I'm doing great and excited to join you for your 100th episode. Congratulations. I believe in celebrating things when you um, reach monumental moments. And so just glad to be here with you today. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Thank you so much. And you mentioned uh, celebrations. Like I said, I've been reading your Essential 55. You said that students are not allowed to ask for rewards. Um, so I got to see some interesting uh, stories there. Can you talk about how you reward your students, I guess, just as we get rolling here? Sure. Well, sometimes, you know, I do give kids things. We've done things where we surprise them with trips or um, books or points for effort, but um, we give it to them when it's earned. We don't just um, allow them to request it. When I first started teaching, um, I was making cookies and I'd give kids cookies when they did something well. And I got to a point where whenever a kid got a question right or got a hundred on a test, they'd say, can I get a cookie? What am I getting? And so um, I made it a rule as a rule for life, I think as well, you should never go through life looking for what can I get? I'm expecting something. I feel entitled to receive something. And I wanted to teach my kids the lesson of you work hard because it's important to have a good work ethic and always do your best and to not always want something. But I did tell them that when you do put your best foot forward and when you do apply yourself to the best of your ability, um, rewards will tend to come in life. Yes, yes. I love that. I love that. And it's, you can see it in your students as well. I had a chance to come visit you guys with about 10 other teachers from the school I'm working with here in South Carolina. And, and we, I have to tell you, we had such a great time. We're actually going through some administrative meetings now and continue to refer to um, some of the strategies that you guys had in, in your school and how we can have students take charge. Because there was literally hours when we were on campus and were not given any directions by an adult. And we were just so impressed by that. Um, can you talk about how RCA started? I know it's a, a really long story um, from North Carolina and New York and all that, and we'll get to that part, but RCA specifically, how did, how did the school come about? Um, and I believe it's private, so like how did, how, what was that process like for you? Sure, well, um, it is a bit of a long story. I try to sum it up the best I can. We, first of all, we are a private school, but the majority of our students pay only $45 a month. Um, we do have some kids who are middle income and some who are wealthy, but it's a small percentage. The majority of our kids come from lower income families. Um, when I built the school, I wanted to be able to travel with kids around the world, have passionate classrooms, really just really have a school that was a kids who were underserved. And so um, that's unusual because usually when you have a private school, tuition helps to cover the cost. Yeah. And so we had the idea of building this school, but we knew we would need corporate sponsors and donors. At the time I was teaching in New York City, I've been named the American Teacher of the Year and I got to be on the Oprah Winfrey Show. Oprah suggested I write a book about my methods. So I wrote a book called The Essential 55, which you mentioned earlier. And basically it's about being specific with students. You referenced how when you were on our campus, for hours, our students did everything they were supposed to do with no direction from an, from an adult. The reason for that is because with these Essential 55 rules, we're very specific. We role play with students, we let them know what's expected, we let them know how to treat each other, how to act if someone bumps into you, how to eat with proper etiquette. It's like everything is covered, it's kind of like life skills, 
And so we find that when you're very specific with students or when you're very specific with humans, the outcome and the results going to be better. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make our students at RCA perfect. Mm-hmm. We still have issues sometimes, but because we're so clear about how, what behavior should be like and what manners look like, that we don't really have as many problems. Um, a lot of people think because we're a private school that all of our students are wealthy or that they are well-behaved students. And actually, a third of our kids come to us with discipline problems from their previous school. A third of our kids come to us where they've never had academic success previously before coming to our school. And then a third of our kids are average. And then for every 30 kids, we usually take three who are gifted. And mm-hmm. so when you look at those numbers, um, the results of our school are incredible. When we mentioned that 100% of our kids have gone on to graduate high school, 90% of our kids are in college or have graduated college, 5% um, choose the military. We do have some kids who have dropped out of college to um, follow other avenues. For mm-hmm. example, we have one, one kid who's 18. He got a job as a graphic designer at UConn. Wow. And so he's working there now. And so sometimes opportunities present themselves that lead kids not to take the college route. Mm-hmm. But um, Oprah told me that I should write the book show. And then one hour after the show, my whole life turned upside down. It was crazy. Um, in one hour, the book was the number two book in the nation. It was right behind Harry Potter and it stayed there for four months. And wow. so that's when I had this idea to take all the money from the book, just to give it away to a foundation. Mm-hmm. And so all the money, I didn't make any money off the book. It went into a foundation and the foundation was used to buy an old nasty factory in downtown Atlanta Mm. it's in the in an area that used to be the second highest crime rated area of the city and so we wanted to try and do something that would not only help the school but help the environment around it so we bought this nasty factory but then we had no money and so for three years i was just begging people will you donate a door will you donate some carpet will you donate a toilet Mm. and it took us three years to finally piece the school together and um the reason why the school has grown to the point it is over the past 13 years is because those individuals who gave a toilet or gave a door, they saw the magic that we were creating in the lives of kids. and They wanted to become even bigger donors. So we grew a donor base from people who gave a little bit at the beginning, but gave a lot over time. Wow. Wow. That's, that's really special. And, and I think in that, um, I think that's a good segue to your journey through, um, education. As I understand it, you started in, in rural North Carolina. Um, rural education is a, a lot of people in the, in the South, at least. Um, then you went to New York and Atlanta. Can you talk about what it was like to teach in all those different demographics and climates of education and students that you're working with? Yeah, each one's quite different. When I was in Eastern North Carolina, very rural school, the nearest stoplight's like 30 miles away. We're in the middle of nowhere, but I loved it. Um, there's no resources, nothing. Um, the majority of the teachers that taught with me had never left the country. It's like just so it was just a lack of exposure, but I loved it because when I would take kids on a field trip, man, they were so appreciative. Mm -hmm. They're so grateful. Their eyes were wide. Oh, I love those kids because there's so much potential to show them the world. Um, but I had no resources. I had nothing. Every bit of money I made, I think I was making $24,000 a year. My first year teaching, every bit I had, I had to put back into resources for my kids because those areas are just, you, you, don't, you don't get funding. When I went to New York City, it was a completely different story because those kids were overexposed. They were very street smart. I mean, those kids were 10 years old, but had the awareness of the streets of a 25 year old. Wow. And so, um, when I would take them on a field trip, it was, they'd seen it. 
So that's why I had to start taking them to things like Phantom of the Opera and the Opera, mm. things to expose them to something that they had never really seen or been exposed to. But um, those kids were rough around the edges. And when you go to teach at a city school, man, there's such a hard exterior on the kids sometimes. They don't trust you um, up, up front. You have to um, spend a lot of time and effort and break it down. But then once the wall comes down, those kids will love you and embrace you like for life. It's like a true, true love. The kids in the country, they just. So you have to earn it more um, when you're in the city. Now I teach in Atlanta. And to me, it's kind of rural and it's kind of city because Atlanta feels like a southern town, even though it's a big city. So I kind of have the mix of both worlds in my students that I teach now. Mm, mm. That's that's legitimate. I, I like it. And you and you've done. I th I love. I think I love, what I love the most about what you've done in seeing all that perspective. And I feel like it's the same for myself. I'm I'm about four years into education, not a teacher. Um, but work in a consultant capacity with behavior. So it's been really different. I grew up in a metro area. Being in the rural South, you realize the, the lack of talent and, and the, or lack of people willing to come work at a school that's down a dirt road or in a place where there's not a bar or a happy hour and stuff like that. <laughs> do, you, do you think, you know, and I'm asking about, you know, there's traditional schools, you got your charter schools, you have your private schools. Is education going in the right direction? Um, I don't mean to be negative, but I, I really, uh, it's hard to be positive about education right now, not only in America, but we travel around the world quite a bit to go to other countries and, um, England's having a really hard time as well. Um, it's like uh, the average teacher in England, um, leaves the profession, 60% of them leave the profession after the first four years in America is 65% leave. Mm -hmm after the first four years. So we've, we've shot ourselves in the foot to a point where in America, this past year, we had a shortage of 60,000 classrooms where there was a teacher that couldn't be found or couldn't be hired. Now, some principals ended up finding somebody to put in those classrooms, but it's not really the person you want teaching your kid. And um, education in America, it doesn't feel exciting. It doesn't feel like oh, it's an honorable thing that I want to go do. Um, these days, parents talk about teachers. It's all about teach to a test. Kids are so disrespectful and parents are letting them be disrespectful. Mm -hmm. So nobody really wants to join our profession. If you ask a fifth grader, why do you want to be when you grow up? Fifth graders don't say, I want to teach. And if they do say they want to teach, everybody will say to them, but you're so smart. There's so many other things you could do. We have um, gotten to a point in America where the caliber of teacher we're recruiting into our schools isn't the type of people that we want teaching mm -hmm. our own children. Mm -hmm. and so we've got to the point where we're ranked 41st in the world in terms of last year, in terms of science and math scores, 41st in the world, because we're just not pulling the best and brightest in our profession. So it's hard to find bright spots, but the good news is we visited 50 States, 300 schools, and there's, it's hard to find a school where there aren't some great educators, right. where there aren't some great people who love kids. So there are some bright spots, but overall, we don't pay teachers what they deserve. We make teachers teach to a test, and we're pushing people out of our profession. Well, and I hear, you know, that's, I think you hit everything on the head. I'm hearing, as I'm listening to presidential campaigns, and even local and statewide politics, there's a lot of conversations about um, education reform, better pay for teachers, whether it's through a federal stipend. That's, that's, I've heard uh, Kamala Harris talked about um, providing a federal stipend 
to bridge the pay gap for teachers? Do you think there's something that can be done? I know, you know, we're not in politics right now. Is there something that can be done through the government, through policy that can help fix this? Um, I, I think so. I heard what Kamala Harris said and also Bernie Sanders just came out and said that he wants the minimum salary for an educator in America to be $60,000, mm-hmm. which um, I think that'd be wonderful. I think um, if it ever gets to a point where Congress passes something like that, I think that would be, wow, it would be a big eye-opener, a big shocker, because right now you have a lot of students in college who would actually like to be a teacher but they choose not to because they want to be able to go on vacation once a year and they want to be able to own a home. And then as an educator, sometimes those things aren't possible because the, the pay is so low. And so um, I think if we get to a point where I think Kamala Harris wants to give every teacher the $15,000 stipend, if we get to a point where some of those things start to happen, you're going to have kids in college who are going to say, Hey, maybe I will teach yeah. um, our country start value educators more. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Well, and, and to think about it, to flip that on its head from policy to what you are doing at the Ryan Clark Academy in training educators, I have to tell you, like before, I think we drove by your school before one time when we were in Atlanta and I had been around, but I, I was I was overwhelmed with how many teachers were coming to get trained. I thought it was going to be like 30 teachers that came, but you guys literally had hundreds. I don't know how many hundreds, but there was hundreds of teachers. Your classrooms were set up where um, we were not interrupting instruction, but we were able to be a part of the learning process and be a part of that exposure to your children. Um, wh- where did that component come into building your school? Why are you training so many educators and what impact are you making um, through that process? Yeah, when I started teaching in North Carolina, I was trying to do methods that nobody else was trying. I was trying to Back then, a lot of people in 1994 weren't really rapping lessons. So I was rapping my lessons, standing on desks, making my lessons hands-on. I was really trying to bring it to life. And other teachers in the school really weren't open to trying it. But then I found that if I could find a first-year teacher, pull her in my classroom and show her what I was doing, they would go back and do it. And so I realized that a lot of people have never had a great teacher. A lot of people Hmm. went through school. They never had somebody go above and beyond to do whatever it took. And so then when they start to teach, they just teach in the way they were taught. And so I said, wow, if I could show people what it looks like to teach like this, I think it could cause a paradigm shift. So I had an idea back in North Carolina to make a school where we would open up all of our doors, let everybody come in and watch great teachers teach. And um, that was the idea, but it wasn't until um, after the book was written that the funding came in. So then we had the possibility to buy the old nasty factory and start the school in Atlanta. Mm. We now have about 600 educators come a week. Um, this is a lot. Um, they come from all over the country and around the world. Teachers come each week to get trained from Finland, China, Russia, India, because our school provides something that you really can't get anywhere. It's yeah. not a regular teacher conference. It's a place where you're in real classes with real teachers, with real struggles, but these teachers are great. And so you get to see how they handle students, how they structure lessons, how they deal with a kid who doesn't want to be there. If if a kid causes a discipline issue, you get to watch a veteran who's really good at it, handle it in the best way possible. So when these 600 teachers leave our school at the end of the day, some of them are crying, they're hugging us. We'll have 30-year veterans who'll come up and say, after being here today, I realized I wasted the last 30 years of my life. I didn't know Mm -hmm. how to teach, but now I do. I'm not 
going to retire because I've got to make sure I teach in the right way. And so um, it's, it's incredible the things that happen after people leave, our, leave RCA. Yeah, yeah. And you're, you're right. I think I just hit me now. There wasn't a PowerPoint presentation. There wasn't a keynote speaker. You know, even our, our breakout sessions when we were talking to you guys, it was real conversation. You know, we were involved in that conversation. And I think even, um, you know, even with the students, I had a chance to talk with uh, two stars at Ryan Clark, I think uh, Ryan and Jayla. And I was just so impressed with the conversation that they carried out all along. And it's, it's amazing uh, the impact that you guys are able to have in two days. I find, I find myself still thinking about you guys. And by the time we left, I felt like they were my students too. Um, and it was, I, I was a part of the Ron Clark Academy. Having, having seen, I've heard you say it's a dream come true. Um, knowing that your dream is, is a reality, is there anything more left to add to it? What's next for you in the school? Man, I was just having a conversation day before yesterday. This is going to sound crazy, but we were talking about how we feel inadequate, how we mm -hmm. feel like we haven't done enough. Our school's not good enough. We've got to be better. We, we need to be better educators. We've got to do more to help kids and help families. And honestly, we, we kill ourselves. We mm -hmm. work so hard, like morning, noon, night. I mean, we have sacrificed time with our family, our friends. But even though we've done that, we still feel inadequate. So Kim and I feel like there's so much more to be done to make the school better, to grow the mission, to help more educators. Um, uh, I'm not satisfied in any way with what we've done already. I feel like there's a lot more for us to do. And so we're going to continue to push forward. Yeah. Is there, any, um, is there any specific set of priorities that you guys have? I know you're actually dropping down the grade to fourth. Is that correct? Yeah, we're actually adding fourth graders this year. We're excited about it. Um, there's potential for us to even grow um, even further, maybe going down to third and second grade um, in the coming years. Um, we are actually in the middle of a major um, construction project. Our school, it's, it's a pretty cool. I mean, it's in an old nasty factory, but the design of it is like Harry Potter's. As you know, it's kind of a, a cool design, but we wanted to grow our facility because we can't really accommodate all the educators who want to come learn from us. Right. So, um, we're in the middle of this campaign, which is going to more than double the size of RCA. And the buildings that we're building are going to be incredible, magical, just such an exciting venue that will allow us to have a performing arts center. We can train more educators, mm -hmm. um, have more students come to RCA and affect the lives of more people. Yeah, yeah. Is there, is, is there a goal of, well, tell me this, what, why did you start with fifth to eighth grade? And yeah, why did you start with fifth to eighth grade? I'll keep that simple. Sure. In our country, test scores for every cohort group um, increases up until fifth grade. For example, every um, Asian female in America, if you average all their test scores, they increase up until fifth grade. Every African-American male, every Caucasian female. After fifth grade, every group starts to decline, except for Caucasian females. They increase throughout middle school. No other group does. So we wanted to study middle school, find out what is going on that's causing kids to lose their interest in learning, to cause test scores to drop. And then once we found the secrets, we wanted to share them with other people. And um, that's what we do at RCA. Even though our focus is primarily middle school, our methods really work for kids of any age. So we train teachers who are pre-K teachers, Head Start mm -hmm. teachers. We train college professors um, because what we do at RCA isn't so much about the content we're teaching, it's about the methods that we're using to disseminate information to children. Yeah, 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 that's true. I like that. 
Um, thank you for sharing. I think that's that's you know continues to be more special growing back. Do you think you'll continue growing um, down in grade level from fourth to third, second? No, I'm not going to promise that we'll do that. But um, a lot of educators who come to RCA are element lower elementary school teachers, and so if you're a first grade teacher and you come to RCA, take back to using your classroom. But um, we have heard over and over that younger grade teachers have said, I would love to see this, though, implemented in a class with first graders. I think it will be easier if I could see it. So I'm not going to say we won't do it, but um, I think there's potential that we will go lower. But I'm not going to make any promises. We're just um, taking that one step at a time. Yeah. Is there a balance that you have to find with um, serving teachers versus serving your students? Yeah, it's a little tricky because, you know, I'm, I'm the school administrator along with Kim Bearden, but also I teach all day. I don't have an assistant. I grade all my papers. And so um, it's hard trying to be an administrator, um, teach kids, and then every week to have 600 educators coming to learn about what we do. And so, um, yeah, we work really, really hard because um, we don't want any area to um, – to not receive the attention it deserves. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the reasons why Kim and I always feel like, gosh, we're not doing enough. We have to do more. But um, one thing that we do at our school, whenever we have a decision to make, whenever we're not sure a road to take, whenever something comes up, we're discussing it. Our first question is always what's best for kids. Mm-hmm. And that always dictates our answers and how we run our school, what's best for children. And um, as long as you focus, put your focus there with every decision that you make, um, you'll tend to be successful. Mm. That's lovely. Well, you mentioned Kim a couple times, and and she was lovely to be around and and have an amazing story to close us out. Can you talk about y'all's relationship or you and her relationship and um, how you're able to build and and maintain a school like Ron Clark Academy? Sure. Well, um, Kim is the smartest person, most amazing person I've ever met. Um, When I was named as the American Teacher of the Year in 2000, she was the runner-up, and she was named as the American middle school teacher for the whole nation that year. And so when I met her, I didn't even know her really well. I just walked up to her after I'd heard her make a speech. And I said, oh my gosh, you're so incredible. I got to know who you are more about you. I said, "Um, I want to start a school one day and I want you to help me. And she said, okay, let's do it. She she didn't even know who I was, but we ended up becoming great friends. And um, then one day I finally called her and said, remember that day you promised you'd start that school with me? I think I'm ready to do it. And so um, we did it. But um, she's mama bear. Like at RCA, all the students, all the staff, they know her as like mama bear. She's so loving, kind, generous, most beautiful spirit. I'm kind of like papa bear because I'm the disciplinarian with the kids. I know people see me and they think, oh, he's like Willy Wonka. He's jumping around. He's crazy. And I do that stuff too. But also when it comes to expectations, I'm very clear and I don't put up with any um, misbehavior. And so in terms of discipline, um, I'm pretty stern. So I'm Papa Bear and Kim's Mama Bear. Mm, mm, mm. I love it. So Ron Clark is 13 years old. What are, what are some of the things that teachers and leaders at school that maybe haven't been to a training right now, what's one thing that an educator can do for this 1920 school year that will help students learn better and faster? Um, I think it starts with your attitude. Um, I think first week of school, every teacher is happy, excited, they're ready to go, and every teacher is gung-ho. But when it gets like October 1st, November 1st, teachers start to be negative. They complain about kids, complain about parents, 
they sit at the table at lunch and they all talk about the worst part of their day so far. And so it's mentally preparing yourself just to be positive and never to complain about kids or the school because um, it's just negativity breeds negativity. If you put poison out there, then you're going to get poison back in your face. Um, When I first opened RCA in 2007, um, I was complaining a lot. I was like, I'm exhausted. The board members don't understand what we're trying to do. That eighth grade mama's on my nerves. And whenever I would say stuff like that, my staff would say, but the eighth grade mama's on my nerves too, who she thinks she is. And I, we, we need to get different board members. And I, I saw a staff start to complain. And I said, oh my God, I said, if I complain, everybody's going to complain. I've got to be nothing but positive. So I started, even when I was in my lowest of lows, saying, I'm blessed to be here. I'm excited. It's a magical place. So happy to know you all. And when I would have that type of attitude, people would say, we are blessed, aren't we? Mm-hmm. And so um, I think the one thing I would say to everybody is just keeping your attitude in check and how you talk about kids, take care about your environment. Um, I think it's just necessary. Also, when you do find yourself surrounded by negative people, I'm not allowing that to affect you too much. Mm. Um, Don't give those people power. Don't be a victim to those people. If they want to be negative, let them be negative, but don't be their victim. They do you, they do not deserve that much credit. Don't allow them to affect you that much. Yes, sir. I love it. Thank you so much for sharing that. That's a great tip. Last question before I let you go, your survivor experience. How did you end up on that show and what did you come away with from that experience? Sure. So, um, I'm an avid survivor fanatic. Like I love the show. My friends watch it every week. We, we watch old seasons. We dissect it in the year 2000. When it first came on TV, I wanted to apply, but I was teaching tutoring during the summer. I was like, well, I don't want to leave my students. Then in 2007, the school at RCA opened and I was like, well, I can't leave the school now. It's a baby and we don't even have enough money to keep the lights on. So I said, I can't apply now. So for 10 years, I kept telling myself, I'll apply next year. I'll apply next year. I said, I don't have enough time to do it now because there's so much going on with these students. And finally, I was doing a speech to my kids and I said, y'all, you only live once, you know, something you want to do, you got to do it. You know, you're not promised tomorrow. And then it kind of hit me that, wow, the one thing I've always wanted to do, I just keep saying, I'll do it tomorrow. So I said, I'm going to apply. So Mm -hmm. I just went online that night to my computer typed in the application, sent it in, and got a phone call. And um, it's really hard to go on Survivor. Once you get past the phone interview, then you do a Skype interview. If you get past that, you have to film a video of yourself. You send that in. get past that, they fly you to L.A. For mm. seven days, you go through interviews, psychological testing, and then um, it's, it's hard. And they have thousands of people go through this process. And then um, eventually I got on the show and I was just grateful and excited. I got turned down for season 37, waitlisted for season 38. And then finally I made it for season 38. And it was an amazing experience. Goodness. Wow. That's so you had to apply each year. Um, No, once I applied the first time, my application was good for only season 37 or 38. Mm -hmm. If I'd won season 39, I'd have had to reapply all over again, seven more days in LA the whole long process. But to anybody who watched Survivor, I will say this, I am not a villain. I know I, I sure come across as a villain, but in real life, I'm a very nice person. But on the show and in real life, I'm very competitive. So if I'm playing Monopoly or cards or something, I'm cutthroat. I'm like, I'm going for it. But um, so that's how I played the game of Survivor and I didn't win, but um, you could see my effort was there. 
Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Well, it speaks volumes of you, both your competitive nature and your willingness to, to be out there and challenge yourself. I think uh, it trickles down into your students. So uh, thank you so much for sharing that, Ryan, and thank you for spending the time with me and my podcast and guest here today. We appreciate having you so much, um, and, and especially for this celebration of the 100th episode of the Dash Podcast. How can people find you? Um, yeah, if they just... If they follow Instagram, it's just um, at um, Ron Clark underscore or on Twitter, it's at Mr. Ron Clark or just Ron Clark on Facebook. Um, or you can follow any of our social medias for our schools, just Ron Clark Academy on all platforms. Um, or you can just visit our school's website, www.ronclarkacademy.com. Right on, right on. And if you don't know Ron Clark already, you're probably not in education or you haven't seen Survivor. So go ahead and Google the man and figure some things out because uh, what you're doing down there in Atlanta is special. So I thank you so much again for joining us on the show. Thank you indeed for listening to the Dash Podcast. Uh, we're sponsored by the Damage Consulting Group. And if you like this episode, share it with your friends. Or it's available on iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn, and TradeGamers.com. We will see you next time. This is the Dash.